Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now Chapter 3 is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome once again inside the wheelhouse podcast this time exclusively on YouTube. You know the drill by now you can find the full version of this conversation in all your normal podcast places including Mariners.com slash podcasts. I'm Aaron Goldsmith alongside Jerry Depoto. Jerry's going to be with you again. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm reluctantly adapting to the first week of my offseason. I understand. I understand. And as always, uh, we're joined by Gary Hill. Uh, Gary, it's been like a week since we've talked, which I have found quite refreshing. How are you? <laughs> it's been really nice. I haven't seen you in a long time, which has been great. Yeah, it has been uh, oh, just kind of like a weight off the shoulders. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's like that with you and Hollander at all, Jerry, but gosh, when Gary and I just get a little separation, it just, gosh, it's, it's good. It's we good see feeling. each other for 14 hours a day every single day starting in February. Yeah. So that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. And, but there is an end to that, you know, which oh, it's true. It never happens for Jerry. Yeah, you and Hollander are just, <laughs> you know, it's 14, 16 hours a day every day. <laughs> every day. Yeah, constantly. I understand that. Uh, but, uh, in any event, we do love Justin, uh, and we'll be talking about Justin a little bit as well. Uh, but, Jerry, what a season this one turned out to be for the Mariners, a 90-win campaign. Uh, nobody saw that coming. Now, guys in the clubhouse could say otherwise, but nobody outside of the clubhouse certainly have predicted 90 wins for the ball club. Uh, the final six games, the final three games in particular, oh, just had this magical vibe to them. Uh, let's go back, first of all, to the, to the final homestand of the year. Uh, I know we did talk to Justin about this as he watched those games alongside you as an executive, but also as a fan of the Mariners. Like, like how did you consume those final six to three games for the Mariners uh, on every single pitch like it was October? You know, with the crowds such as they were, it's, it's the first time I've experienced that since being in Seattle. It's the first time any of our players really have experienced anything like that. We've had big crowds or sellout crowds, you know, Griffey weekend back in 16, Edgar weekend, but we, we've never really had that type of, uh, I guess, the, the energy in the ballpark behind a team, not, not there for an event or to pay tribute to a great player of the past. This was about the team and, and the, the players on the field, and the energy was overwhelming. You know, we actually opened the windows, which was is not something we typically do in the fall, <laughs> but we opened the windows just so we could soak it in and, and be part of, the, of that environment. And, you know, you can't help but have been blown away by how many people showed up and, and the way the city really posted for, for the team. And I thought it was incredibly exciting. Yeah, the whole believe thing uh, that was started by Scott and the, the Ted Lasso concept that just kind of snowballed and was adopted not only by uh, the players, the fans, but other uh, sports franchises in, in the city. I mean, we really got the taste of what a big league team in the hunt at the end of the season can do not only for a fan base, but for a city and a region. It was, it was a magical feeling. 
Oh, it really was. And you know, if you, I watched Ted Lasso, I think it's a magical show. And, <laughs> and it actually started with our players and, and with Jack Mossman, our director of Major League Ops, who's probably the biggest Ted Lasso fan on earth. Uh, you know, a Ted Lasso groupie, if you will. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the whole group was, you know, just as the show has evolved, it really got into it. And, and you needed something during these last two years with the pandemic and to inspire, you know, thoughts of something greater and and I, and I thought it was really like a magical marriage and and you know it became something of a of a driving force or a motto for the club in the last month especially and you know when the when the sign went up the, in left field for the final homestand that was that was a really cool thing and and uh it it, it made you really believe that we were there and you know I, I woke up on Sunday morning and I shared with a couple of people who I'd spoken with over this last week when I woke up on Sunday morning that final day I'd never been more excited in and for any one game and and I've been with you know eight or nine teams that have been to the postseason been to the World Series and I never experienced the excitement that you feel that day uh, on on Sunday and you know, I really thought we were going to get there. And, uh, you know, the, the home run to lead off the game took the air out of my balloon just a little bit. But the fans brought you right back into it because they didn't, you know, they, they weren't faced. They just kept right on going. And, and we made a couple of charges but just fell short. Uh, we can't give back the experience of having played in, in that situation, especially with this young team. Yeah, what do you take away from especially – Logan Gilbert pitching down the stretch or Jared Kelnick, what we saw him do in this situation in September, what can they take from this moving forward? Now they know that they can, you know, they know that they can deliver in those big moments uh, at when it matters the most for your team and in front of the biggest crowds. You know, we've talked about this almost jokingly over the course of, you know, the, the last couple of years, especially 2020 and 2021. Many of our players, almost all of them really, have never played in front of crowds, anything like we played against that final weekend, but generally in front of crowds that were bigger than 9,000, you know, maybe about the mid-season mark when we opened up. To, to, to that point in their careers, it was, you know, three or 5,000 people in a minor league stadium. It was, you know, 8,000 on a Friday night at LSU maybe. Or, you know, it was a bunch of cardboard figures in the stands for, for 60 games. This was such a new experience for our guys, and they learned how to channel the, the, the calm. And I, and I thought it was particularly valuable for guys like Logan and Jared, you know, at such a young age to know that they can perform at the very top level because they were always confident players. This, this cements to them that they can perform now with the best players in the world. At some point in spring training, I was up in the booth at Peoria Sports Complex and I was talking with assistant general manager Justin Hollander and we were just kind of kicking the can around the room a little bit and I was asking Justin, like, what – what do you think this year is going to be like? Like, what are you seeing? What are you believing? What are you thinking? And he had a, a really great, great way to sum up what he thought this season would be. And he said he thought it was where the Mariners' present meets their future. And I, I kind of latched onto that. I'm like, yeah, I, I can see that happening. And Padres series mid-May, I was like, I don't know about this, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to be in the past. <laughs> like, maybe we're rethinking this one now. But then... I mean, you use that, that May series against the Padres where the Mariners get boat raced at Petco, and then you use that as a pivot point. They go, they win the next series against the A's, and it's just like, right, they take off. They become truly one of the best teams in the league from that point going on with 
like basically the Rays and the Astros, right? So with that in mind, how do you see the overall development of this collective body of players from the start of the season to the end? Because when you look at it where they started and you look at it where they ended, it feels like more than a year's worth of development just based on growth that we saw from so many guys. This team, uh, is we talked about the resilience of this team. And, you know, dating back to May when we bounced back from that Padres series, which was, it's a humiliating three days, no matter how you cut it up. And we bounced back and became one of the best teams in the league, you know, in the, in the win-loss category especially, which matters. You know, the players walk away. They don't really care about a lot of the underlying, you know, uh, metrics that we're measuring as fans, as front offices, or, or, or even as, as critics. They just care about who won mm-hmm. and, and, and let's go play tomorrow. And, and you know, we have always hammered the, the idea of process. You know, it's just stay focused on a process. Just get a little bit better every day. Players don't always think that way. You know, they, they, they think about the win and the loss. And, and that's the way I thought when I was a player. And I know Scott the same way. But we're trying to, to impress upon everybody that it's about getting a little better every day. And we did that. You know, this team also, what we learned in, in midsummer and, and since, is that this was, you know, I, 30-ish major league teams that I've spent, you know, all or most of my time with over the last three decades this is the most emotional team that, I, that I've ever experienced. And and they were able to channel their emotion in such a good way with one another. And you know, they they won games on their own emotion. And and I think that's, uh, you know, they're talented. They work and they care. And they are emotionally driven. And those are magical things. And, and I think that's why at the end when, you know, Believe became our inspiration, it's an emotional group. They, they believed too. And, and uh, they also showed that they have a very short memory on what happened that was a negative. Uh, you know, the loss didn't bury them. They just bounced back and they moved on. It's, uh, I, I, I couldn't say enough about the, the character of the club and, and what they showed. It is funny when you watch a season play out and you see a team take on a personality like that. Do you have any theories on how a team does that, how a team takes on a certain personality? No, it, it's always collective. You know, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a collective thing. There's almost never a single personality in a clubhouse that, that drives everyone. It's, it's almost always a combination of, of influences that are around the club. And, you know, it's a, it, it, the heart and the soul and the conscience that I've talked about before. It, it, it's almost always from different people. And this club had it. You know, it's a, this, this club had a heart and soul. This club had a, a conscience. Not every team does. There's, there are a lot of teams that are just vanilla. And, and they go away. <laughs> and this team had something that really caught your attention. And, and that's why without, you know, w- without superstars or marquee names and, and, and guys that were going out there and learning as we went, they, they kind of captured the imagination of the, of the crowd, w- which showed the, the last three days when, when a lot of people showed up to support them. So how do you take what we saw last year, this season we're just coming off of, uh, last year, I suppose, and you start to pivot it towards next season, uh, we know that there are greater expectations now, right, than there were after that Padres series (laughs) or going into the final weekend of the season. Uh, Everybody in this city and in this region, they've got a taste, right? They, they They got bit by the baseball fever of what it's like at the end of the season. You have some guys on your team who have been here long enough, they're veterans or young veterans, and they were right there. How do you view as 
as the front office the expectations now moving forward for this ball club that we saw get uh, just steps away from the finish line this season? Well, we view this as a I, – I don't – think anyone can can look at this season and reference it as anything but a success you know we, we won 90 games when many didn't think that was going to be the case uh moving forward we think we're turn turning a corner and uh this is this is where we'd hoped we would be back when we started the the rebuild project in 2018 it, it's where we feel like we are now and with you know what this year was, I believe, the third youngest team in baseball. Uh, that's a that gives us something to look forward to. We have a really robust farm system. We do have payroll flexibility, enough to really help the team in areas that we think we can help, and we want to get better. And we feel like this is an opportunity for us to go out and compete for division championships, to go out and and get to postseasons, and and, and not postseason, but plural you know get make that part of what we do as we grow forward that's always been our plan and uh we've always believed that that's what we were focused on and you know it's a it's happening right about when we hoped it would or possibly could and and that's a credit to the players for driving it there yeah it is it is remarkable it feels like the mariners with the the last season that was especially on the minor league side it seems like the gap was close with that this year. Uh, we saw the development at the major league level for a number of the young players. You mentioned Gilbert and Kelnick in particular. Uh, but there was this thought that things would get pushed back, right, for the Mariners and for everybody else because of the truncated major league season, the lost minor league season. But does it feel like you guys were able to kind of lap it in that regard and, and get back to kind of where you thought you would be and now you can be in a competitive mindset of, the West can be won by the Mariners next year. We think so. And, you know, to to the first point, which is did we lap it and come back around? Yes, I think we did. We made up for that lost time through a lot of avenues that we couldn't have guaranteed. Uh, most notably, we couldn't have guaranteed that Chris Flexen would reenter the Major League universe from, from the KBO and be one of the best starting pitchers in the American League. He was consistent as it gets throughout the course of the year. You know, innings pitched, wins, the standard, you know, stable uh, starting pitcher that you look to, 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 you know, I think we were 20 and nine in his 29 starts. That's notable. And we couldn't have, have guaranteed that. Mitch Haniger coming back and having a, a, a bounce back season after almost two years away. And, and not just a bounce back, but hitting 39 homers, driving in 100, scoring 100, you know, an 800-plus OPS. That's a shocking return for, for Mitch. And I, I, I can't, you know, I, I really can't say enough positive things about what he did. You know, we couldn't have bet on the young players, particularly guys like Logan and Kelnick, getting progressively better every month that they played. They just kept getting better. And, and they were both cresting at the end of the season in September, doing the things that we, you know, could only have imagined they would do. Uh, we saw players with that zero to three experience, guys like JP and Ty France, come out and take the next step in their careers. So many positive things. They far outweighed the, the, the negative or, or I guess what you would call, uh, I guess, the fallbacks in our season. There weren't a lot of negative development stories for us in our organization. And, you know, while nothing's ever perfect, 
almost everything went in our favor with with the development of our young team and we won a lot of games on emotion and belief in self and a really good bullpen which is another thing we couldn't have have guaranteed going into the season uh, we it, it's not it's not filled with marquee names it was not filled with with guys who had had all-star seasons in the past it was filled with Drew Steckenrider and Paul Seewald and guys like Casey Sadler and Anthony Mashevitz who were hungry and they, and they wanted to learn and they went out and they dominated and they, and they did it pole to pole. They were fabulous and and I think that really sets us up in a positive way and moving forward. So across the board, really positive things. I'm curious when you look at your team and we're watching the postseason play out right now and it's fascinating to watch because you see a team like the Giants who got there differently than the Brewers, who got there differently than the Astros. You got on the list and everyone does it a little differently. Is there a common thread when you look at teams in the postseason, good teams that have been there a number of times, and you clearly want to be one of those teams who are in the postseason consistently? Is there a common thread that you see with the same teams that we see there? They all pitch the ball and they all catch the ball. You know, it's a it, pitching and defense. It never goes away. You know, you, you don't really see teams that have flaws, you know, or, or significant flaws in those areas that show up in the postseason. You may see a different style of offense. You may see teams that are more prominent offensively than others. You may see, see teams that are power and patience, some that are more hitability and speed, some that are more athleticism with strikeouts, but they can overwhelm you on a given day. All different types of offenses, but they all pitch and they all pick it up. And, and I think that's a primary for the Mariners. You know, we built a team that we feel like can pitch it and we can catch it. And, you know, and now it's on us to build an offense that's, that resembles what's, you know, on the field right now that's still playing in October. And, and we feel like that was, if nothing, that was our area of, of weakness throughout the season was just absolute depth in our lineup. But every month it got a little bit better and we got a little bit deeper. And we feel like with, you know, the right – pushing the right buttons in the offseason, we can catch up with those teams that are on the field now. We don't have to wait for another three years. So along the lines of augmenting the roster, adding to it this offseason, I mean, to be perfectly frank, there are Mariners fans uh, around the country who, like, they just won't be happy unless the Mariners spend $160, $180 million on payroll, right? Like numbers that have not been reached before by this organization potentially. Uh, and and I, I understand where they're coming from, but from a realistic standpoint, we know that uh, when you spoke to the media, when you and Scott uh, not long ago from T-Mobile Park, I mean, you addressed in basically a conversation with John Stanton about where payroll can get to and adding to it. So we know that that will happen. We also know you can't give uh, specific dollar amounts uh, to us, and we get that. But how are you viewing adding to this roster, whether it be through free agency uh, via trade, obviously you have as deep of a farm system as there probably is in baseball right now. Uh, as much as you can, let us behind the curtain with you, Justin, and the rest of the crew is uh, the whiteboard right now for the Mariners. We want to be aggressive. You know, I, I think we've said and we've talked about it through the course of, of conversations on this podcast. We, we understood our timing and, and we've gone back and we've looked at other teams that have done what we're in the process of doing. Teams like the Astros and the Cubs and more recently the Padres and you know even going back to, to the 80s and the 90s just different teams we've watched through the years and we always knew there was a time you know there, there was a time when we were going to turn a corner where we invest the, the payroll flexibility that we work so hard to create. 
but it was important to make sure that we built a foundation of our young players in order to get there. And, and we, I think we've done that. We talked about guys like JP and Ty and Mitch and Marco, and, and you look around our diamond, and it's, it's the young players that debuted these last two years, guys like, like Kelnick and Gilbert and Abraham Toros, just played his 24-year-old season. Cal Raleigh, who got his first taste. It was important for us to continue to develop that core. Now we can go add to it in a meaningful way. We're not going to measure the success of our offseason by the height of our payroll. We're going to measure it by how robust a roster we were, be, we were able to build, either through free agency or trade. The one thing that I am confident in is that we have – we have a substantially larger payroll moving into 2022 than we've had in quite some time. And we're going to be aggressive in places in the market that we really haven't been aggressive in years past. My first three or four years here, particularly those first three, we had a bit of a bloated payroll with, with players that were in the primes of great careers and we were trying to build around them. We were trying to build a floor uh, around guys like Nelly and Robbie and Kyle and Felix. You know, that's not the case anymore. We, ha we have a core uh, that is not a, a bloated payroll. It's a very flexible one. We can go add to this team and we can shop down the aisles that we've not shopped in, in, in a number of years if that player wants to come to Seattle. And, and if not, we're always open to looking down, you know, a, whatever avenue we can to add talent. And, and we just want to add talent. We want to find different ways to get better. So along those lines, it, it, something you said did remind me of a, a moment late in the season. Well, first of all, there, there's probably – you have to go back a few years, if not more than that, to find a acquired Mariners player that was immediately disliked more than Abraham Toro. <laughs> like, if we can just be very honest about it. Uh, the, the, that trade, as we all know, caught everybody off guard. And although we had seen Toro, we had not seen a great deal of him consistently for the Astros. So it was just this, what? And the fan base was saying that and more. Fast forward what was probably, I don't know, a month, a month and a half. And there were chants for Toro <laughs> inside the ballpark. And now there's a t-shirt at the Mariners team store for Abraham Toro. <laughs> so it just does kind of go to show you that um, sometimes you guys have an idea what you're doing. I guess is my point. And uh, the Toro acquisition turned out to be a marvelous one. And, boy, he he turned out to be a much-needed fixture during the summer months when the Mariners really needed a boost in the lineup. You know, it, we're going to make mistakes, and, and we have. We, we will moving forward. We're not going to get every one of them right. Not every hitter swings at the right pitch every time. Not, you know, sometimes, and I've, I'm living proof of this, sometimes the pitcher hangs them. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> And, and sometimes in the moves that we make in the front office, we hang them. And, and it's not, it doesn't turn out the way you'd hoped. The, the acquisitions at the trade deadline and what they represent for our future, if I had to categorize the, the, the primary responsibility for, for the front office, it's that we have to see the big picture. We have to remain focused on something at larger than just today's game. You know, Scott, the major league staff, their primary focus is preparing to win today's game. And, and the, when we win that game, it's moving on and preparing to win the next game. Most of the players are thinking along that same, you know, mindset. We have to be aware of what's happening, you know, on the on the horizon and, and how we maintain or sustain what we're doing. Nobody wants to win today and then lose the next 10, you know. 
And, and that's our goal is, is keeping a, a broader perspective. And now as we get to the end of the season, and I don't know what would have happened if we wouldn't have made the deals we made at the deadline, if we would have pawned off, you know, a, a, a chunk of our minor league system to to try to prop up this team at a time when, you know, frankly, we didn't know where we were in the race. But, you know, we added players who made us better. You know, Abraham Toro made us better. Uh, Diego Castillo made us better. Joe Smith made us better. Tyler Anderson was a savior for us in, in our rotation in many ways. And, you know, it, the, those players made us better. And, and I think we generally did a good job at the deadline as, a, as an organization. But now, as we head toward 2022, the most exciting thing is Abraham Torres here through 2026. You know, Diego Castillo is here through 2025. You know, it's a, or 2024, excuse me. And, and we're better for longer because of the moves that we made. And, and I, you know, I don't think Abraham Toro is, is going to go off and, and play the way he did in August when he had a 200 WRC plus for, you know, for 30 days, he was perhaps the best player in the league. And, and, uh, you know, and he cooled off a little bit, but he's a good player. He can do a lot of things. He can get on base. You know, Diego, we went and acquired the closer for the best team in the American league. And both players are still in their mid twenties and, and really, you know, at, it's, the future's bright for the Mariners and for those players. And, I, and, and I'm excited about what comes next. It was a thrill to see Andres Munoz walk out on the field that last game of the season, knowing that Ken Giles is a couple of weeks away from full strength and ready to roll. It's a, it's, we are in a really good position, and we can go add to our roster, and we don't have that many holes to fill. We think we're a good team now. Along those lines, I'm curious how you think about – Young players still coming. As you mentioned, there's not a lot of holes on the roster. How do you think about development moving forward and what feels like a new stage uh, of where you're at? Well, it, it's awesome to have young talent. Yeah. And, you know, particularly after a, a period in time where we didn't have a ton of it. And now it's it's really, it's bursting right mm -hmm. now. With a lot of talent in our system. Some is... is some of our young talent has already permeated our major league roster. Others like Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby and Noel V. Marte and Emerson Hancock. And I, and I could go on Levi Stout and Matt Brash. It's a, it's, it's a really fun system right now. And we want to make sure that there's always the opportunity for those young players to have a chance at the major league level when it's their time. You know, whereas in the last three years, we have roughly just you know, left the door open for that player. And, and, and if that player proves to not yet be ready or struggle in his, you know, I guess, initiation into the, the, the major leagues, that we have typically just allowed that to, to be a long runway. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll behave in that same way because, frankly, we have a responsibility to the team to the community and to the fact that we think we're good. <laughs> and, you know, when when you go out and you perform the way this team did, you know, it's incumbent on us to, to prop that team up. And now I think you'll see us behave in such a way that that, that player will have to fight his way onto the roster a little more than they have in the past, for, for lack of a better way to put it. And and we will not have an expectation that that, that player, you know, it's – needs to perform in order for us to be good. We, we have to provide the roster with enough now stability or impact that will allow whatever those young players do, when they start to flourish, that's a bonus for us. And when they start to flourish, because we think many of the guys I just mentioned are impact players in the future, 
We're not going to get in their way. We're just going to we're going to find a way to give them opportunity because they are critically important to our to our long term, and, and that's something that really matters to us. Gold glove number two for JP this year. I think so. I also think Ty France should win a gold glove. You know, I, the, the two of them both did a wonderful job, and JP's the like, he saved his greatest moments defensively until the end. <laughs> I, I thought September was his greatest month defensively, which. You know, it's a uh, good for him that at the at at the moment when everybody was watching, he performed at his best because you know the voters kind of remember that thing. And Jerry, I mean, he's a dude. Like JP's a dude. Like that's a guy that sets a tone for a ball club, and in this case, a 90-win ball club. Those guys are hard to find, right? That I mean, he had the best season of his career. We talked about it probably back in spring training. JP went into this season with still things to prove offensively that he could do it for the full course wire to wire and obviously he had a red hot month best month of his career but the season and numbers look fantastic the defense was stellar of course as well I mean he's a real big time prime time player that you found uh that obviously the wick burned out in in Philadelphia for him and he has come here and he has been for some reason he gets overlooked when we talk about the Mariners kind of changing things up and starting to new jp's name kind of gets overlooked for some reason but he is so integral to this whole i feel process. like he was the first yeah i mean I, he, I feel like when this process started he was the one he was the first move i mean in my mind he's symbolic of how this started it, it's pretty close to having yeah. been the first and i you know jp is a great example of of what we've done over these last three years you know three plus years is we went out and we found players who we believed in, uh, you know, and that hasn't naturally been the narrative. We gave them opportunity and then we were patient while they grew. And that doesn't happen in all of 29 of the other markets as, as evidenced by the fact that we actually were able to acquire some of these players because JP Crawford was a top prospect mm -hmm. in the game, you know, was widely regarded as a top 20 prospect during his last couple of years in the minor leagues. And we gave him runway. And, you know, I, I, I think somewhere along the way, the, the narrative changed that we didn't believe. We've always believed. You know, we, we, we believed enough to acquire those players. We believed enough to give them the opportunity. We believed enough to watch them fall down and then help them get back up and then give them more opportunity. And they paid us back tenfold. Uh, because a player like JP is, is emblematic of that. He's just gotten better every month every year and it's he, he is now like you said he's he's integral to the to the vibe around our team you know he's just he has he he has it you know he has a nice uh energy that he brings to the field every day he is an elite level defender who fr frankly has combined that with you know really consistent offense and he's not always going to be the gaudy power guy but he showed he can deliver the homer you know or the big extra base hit when you need it he has a knack for getting on base he generally swings at the right pitches and you know i i think he more than than anyone in these last three years represents what our approach has been which is go identify the right talent bring them on board give them opportunity don't listen to the noise and just let them play and and Along the way, Perry Hill and Tim Laker and Jarrett DeHart, they, they helped JP get better. And, and I, could, I could sub in JP with about 15 other names on our roster. That's been what we've done for these last three years. And, and you know, frankly, I, I'm, I'm not sure that, that too many people 
think back that far. They just they just think about the two young guys that came up this year. They, they don't really think about this as a project, and it has been a project that we're pretty proud of. Well, Jerry, it was a wonderful year. Uh, we've had a great time on the wheelhouse this season. Uh, Gary and I are going to start a group text thread with you and Hollander and Jesse Smith and all those guys, and we're just going to probably chime in a couple of whiteboard ideas that we're coming up yes. with. I mean, I think – like we're we're looking for some synergy, you know. Like we're we're open to your ideas, right, Gare? Yeah, yeah we're, we're yes. Yeah, we're yeah. very open to it. Um, yeah, it just goes both ways. Yeah, way. absolutely. Yeah. It's a two way street. It's a two way street, you know. But I know, like, a lot of time with Hollander, right? I mean, like, we get it. Uh, so if you guys just need some inspiration, everyone small, just reach out. Yeah. You know? We have a lot of good ideas. Yeah, we got some great ideas. Yeah. You know, we're pretty we're pretty dialed in. <laughs> I'm open because we're not always, you know, we're, we're not always dialed in. It's a there's we talk I mean, if it's if it's 10 times a day i'm 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 probably halfway home it, we talk about the different ways that we can improve our roster that we can we can see success in the short term that we can add to the long term and it, and some of them seem like crazy ideas when we throw them up on a whiteboard and then lo and behold some of them you're actually able to go achieve you know and or something like that and, uh, you know, every deal that we make, we try to keep one foot on the side of now and one foot on the side of what's to come. And and uh, now I think the exciting thing is both of those you know feet are in a good place. You know, it's that we are a good team who really only, you know, I guess, should only get better as, as we move forward. And that's an exciting thing. Well, Jerry, it was an incredible ride in 2021 and uh, we thank you again for all your time here on the wheelhouse so there's nothing like it there's nothing like it in all the sports uh, not just in major league baseball and we're so grateful for all the time the insights uh, the jokes the laughs everything else along the way and uh, maybe we'll be doing one of these uh, kind of offshoot special edition wheelhouses over the course of the winter uh, you know that's on you though I mean you know make it happen Jerry and we'll 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 reconvene at the table and we'll get it knocked out I'm gonna do my best I'm gonna do my best I'll check in with Gary to make sure that we're that's on we're, we're on target well, Jerry, we appreciate it, man. You got it, guys. Thanks for everything.